Lonely song, the songs for you. When my dad was alive, he used to call his wife the spoiler because she'd get around the kids, and no matter what they wanted, she would give it to them. Kids, animals, anything. She'd give them whatever they wanted. Now we know that there are a lot of reasons for people to do this. One of the reasons is they want the kids to like them. I want the kid to like me. I want the kid to love me. So I give him what he wants. And I don't understand why he doesn't like me, why he doesn't love me. I give him everything he wants. Why is he so angry all the time? Well, because you can't give anybody everything they want. If you do, they just want more. And then they get angry when they don't get it. And if you're the source of getting everything that they wanted, when you finally can't give them what they want, then they have to get angry because you're withholding from them. So my dad called her the spoiler because she always gave in to the kids. But there's something that consistently spoils our life. It remains hidden from us. And the reason it's hidden is so that it can continue to spoil our happiness and our peace of mind. Though Shakespeare might call it much ado about nothing, it's certainly nothing that can be overlooked if we wish to reach a higher level of ourselves. We probably need to talk about reaching a higher level of ourselves a little bit. What does that actually mean? Well, it actually means that the level at which we live is not the highest level in us, that there are much higher levels in us. Our ordinary state is not the most awake that we are, that we've ever been. Our ordinary state is not the happiest we've ever been. Our ordinary state is not the most loving we've ever been. Our ordinary state is not the most intelligent that we've ever been. As a matter of fact, our ordinary state is kind of gray, isn't it? It's really not that terrific. And so what this work is about, what all esoteric teachings about, what all religions started off with, all religions that are worthy of the name religion started off with, was this idea of reaching a higher state, a higher level in ourselves, a level that's already there, like an attic in a house that no one visits. It's there, but no one goes there. No one knows the way. They've forgotten that you have to pull this cord down and then the steps come down and then they unfold and then you turn the light on and you can go up there. And they're afraid because it's new and different. And, and what's up there that I need? I'm comfortable right down here. Why should I go up into the attic? And that's pretty much how we're living our lives. But if you come to a place and a time in your life when you think that reaching a higher level in yourself is important, then this work becomes important. Then these teachings become important. Then I become important. Until then, I'm pretty much just some guy in the way. Because everything in life is like that when you think about it. Everything in life is just things in life. There's this end table thing, whatever this thing is, this typing table or whatever it is, sitting in front of me. And it's just a table now, and I can put a piece of paper on it, I can rest things on it, and it's fine that way. But if I want to get up and go into the other room, that table is an obstacle. It's something in my way, something that has to be moved, or I have to somehow find a way around it. And this is how we live our lives. Everything's just everything until we have a goal, until we have an aim, until we want something. Then suddenly, something's in our way and something's not in our way. Something becomes useful, something becomes meaningful, something else becomes useless, not meaningful, or an obstacle. So what I'm saying is that until these teachings become real to you, until you really begin to understand that there's something higher in you that you need to reach, that you're, you're being compelled internally to reach, to strive for, until you realize that I'm just somebody who's in the way. I'm just someone who says things that are irritating and annoying. I'm just someone who says things that, that are rude and crude and socially unacceptable right to your face. And that's no fun. But when you have a different aim, then I become useful. Then I become important. Just like the truth. And the Bible's something you stand on to reach the phone until you need what's in it. And then you don't care about the phone. All you care about is finding out what's in it that you need that'll feed your soul. And so it is with all esoteric teachings. They're just books. They're just teachings. They're just words until we need them, until we want them. Then they become valuable. This is about valuation. 
the spoiler in us, something that spoils our happiness and peace, that spoils our life. It's like the weather. It's always with us, and it's changeable. And like the weather, we take it for granted until it spoils the picnic. And when it spoils the picnic, we look up at the clouds and the rain, and we curse them, rarely understanding that we're at the wrong picnic. And this is exactly a picture of what I'm talking about. The picnic out here has been ruined by the economy. The picnic out here has been ruined by this person or that person. The picnic out here has been ruined because the tree fell on my car. The picnic out here has been ruined because it rained or, or there were clouds, there was lightning, there was thunder, it was awful, and there were ants. And oh, The picnic out here has been ruined because the food was all spoiled. But we're at the wrong picnic. We're looking in the wrong direction. We need to look at the internal picnic. We need to look at the table that's spread out before us, the banquet that's spread out before us internally in the realm of ideas, in the spiritual realm, in the psychological realm. Lost in the swirl of life's outer events as presented to us by the five senses, we start to become very forgetful and sleepy about these laws, these higher laws, this higher meaning, this higher level of ourselves. Because we don't understand ourselves, we take our present mood or our state as representative of us. This is one of the things I do so brilliantly. If I feel kind of funky right now, I feel like I'm going to feel funky forever. It's like, well, this is the way it is. And I get all kind of glum about it. This is the way it'll be forever. Or if this didn't work out, I notice that I have a tendency to pitch a fit. That something that didn't work out is never going to work out. And I found that it really spoils my life. It spoils my peace of mind, it spoils my happiness, it spoils my contentment, and it keeps on spoiling it over and over again. Maybe not consistently, maybe not every single time, but enough. It keeps coming back. What this means in plain English is that we take our mood or our state as I. We give it the feeling of I. While in the thick of life we forget we have states that are a bit more conscious than others and states a bit higher and states that are a little lower than other states. We forget this and we start to think that this state is the only state, that this mood is the only mood, that this one is the one we're stuck in forever because we don't have much ability to do, not realizing that it could change. When you can't change your state, it can be frustrating, can it? Have you been negative and not been able to change it? Have you been angry and not been able to change it? Have you been depressed and not been able to change it? Have you felt down and not been able to lift yourself up? That's what I mean. We also fail to remember that all of our states are different forms of an illusion based on and in the spoiler. It spoils our life by chaining us to misery. Well, it's come time to pull away the curtain hiding the spoiler. And unlike the curtain in The Wizard of Oz, there's not going to be some little innocuous man back there saying, I am the great and powerful Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> the spoiler is nothing other than internal considering. Making accounts against someone else. It seems so simple, doesn't it? Making accounts against someone else. But, but, but I don't do that. We'll see about that. Frederick Douglass said, No man can put a chain about the ankle of his fellow man without at last finding the other end fastened about his own neck. I used to think it was Abraham Lincoln that said that, and I used to quote, Oh, Abraham Lincoln said, and I looked it up the other day, and it was hard to find, but I finally found it. And it was Frederick Douglass, and I've read Frederick Douglass' autobiography. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. He was a slave. He was born a slave, and he escaped and went north, and the abolitionist took care of him and then put him on the circuit, and he went around and he learned how to read and write against the will of his white masters. But there was a woman in, I think, Baltimore that taught him how to read and write, and she then stopped when she found out that he was getting smarter than her. But he continued, and he became a great orator. He went around speaking against slavery. 
And that was one of the things he said. I'll, I'll repeat it. No man can put a chain about the ankle of his fellow man without at last finding the other end fastened about his own neck. Each account is a link in the chain. Every account that you make against another person is a link in the chain. Douglas was right. Making the accounts is far worse than being held to them by someone else. You may have a lot of accounts about me, but that doesn't really bother me as much as it bothers you because the chain that you fastened around my ankle is around your neck. You're really enslaving yourself. Because of how we were created, we may not be enslaved by anyone other than ourselves. You are free to enslave yourself if you wish to do that. You are free to accept the accounts that other people make for you. You can do that if you wish, but you don't have to. You have the right not to be negative, something we forget very often. Internal considering grows stronger the more it's used, like adding links to a chain, and that adding links to a chain and adding links and adding links until you have a long chain that you can double or triple, and you can wind it around your neck again and again and again. What could be wrong with wanting to be properly treated? That's a good question, isn't it? What could possibly be wrong with wanting to be properly treated? The answer is nothing. Wanting to be properly treated isn't the problem. The problem is we wish to be treated according to our idea of ourselves, our feeling of I, which, you will remember, is different forms of illusion basing themselves on internal considering. Our feeling of I is what's faulty, not wishing to be treated properly. There's nothing wrong with wishing to be treated properly. If you know who you are, then you know you are being treated properly. If you know where you are, you know that it doesn't matter how you're being treated. That among machines, you can never be treated perfectly because all machines have unpleasant manifestations. And sooner or later, you're going to be slighted, unjustly treated. Really, genuinely. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be properly treated if you understand that you can't always be properly treated because of where you are and what you are. At every moment, wishing to be properly treated forges links in the chain that eventually strangles our freedom. We could be free, but we're not. And what is it that keeps us from being free? Well, it's being enslaved. It's being chained to illusion, to this idea that I am this and people should treat me this way. I am me. I am I. And you should treat me that way. You should treat me like I see me. You should treat me like I deserve to be treated, like I wish to be treated. And again, all of this I, this feeling of I, is based in forms of illusion that come from internal considering, thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think of ourselves. Internal considering is like throwing a net out and drawing in negative impressions that we use to make the links in our chains. You go into a room full of people, and I know what you do. Everyone does the same thing. They throw a net out, and they pull that net back in, and they decide all the people that like them and don't like them, that treated them properly and didn't treat them properly, that acknowledged them when they came into the room and didn't acknowledge them when they came into the room, that looked at them and didn't look at them, that smiled at them or didn't smile at them. That's throwing out a net and drawing in negative impressions, isn't it? And we do that. We do it unconsciously, and we do it deliberately. But this is internal considering. While explaining to an old friend what I do when I work with people, she was horrified. I explained to her what I do if I go and I live with a family in some foreign country. And as I explained what I did, she was just horrified. She realized what I had realized about her decades before. She didn't like the idea of having her internal considering destroyed. And when people are horrified by what I do, they're horrified by one thing and only one thing, internal considering. You can't treat me that way. Don't you know who I am? You have no right. Who do you think you are? Why would you say that to me? I was thinking this morning about something my dad said to me when I was a kid. 
he was very confrontive. He would just say, well, why did you do that? And he was my father. He had the right to say that. Why did you do this? Why did he want an accounting? Why I'd done things? And I didn't always know. So I was kind of an idiot with my dad. I was like, well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You mean you do things and you don't know why you do them? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And he, that was not acceptable to him. He had this illusion that he did everything exactly the way he wanted to do it because he knew who he was and what he was doing. And he was good and everybody else who wasn't like him was bad. Well, gee, do you know anyone else like that? <laughs> you should be looking at yourself, but if you're not, it's okay. There comes a time in this work where we see the work aims at the dismantling of the false personality. And then we have a decision to make. Are we going to allow it to dismantle our false personality? Or are we going to get out of it, get away from it, or soften it, or blunt the edge of the sword, or blunt the point of it in some way? And I think you'll find that most of the time we're going to blunt the edge of the sword, aren't we? Most of the time we're going to dither it. We're going to mix it up so that it's not all sharp. So that it's not, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. There'll be something other than that, which will be deception, obfuscation. There's no problem until we understand that we are the fiction called imaginary I that is upheld by the false personality. As soon as we begin to actually see that we're a fiction, that we're imaginary, that all of this feeling of I, all of this thing that this feeling of I has gone into, isn't real, is truly based on illusion, on internal considering, on all of these ideas and these thoughts and these pictures about who we are and how we should be treated. As soon as we begin to see that, we start to have a problem with the work. We don't have a problem with the work as long as we don't know that it's talking about us. As long as we think the work is talking about other people and the world, we're fine with it. We're supporters of the work. We're all for it, especially if it's going to help him or her, you know, that person, that difficult person in your life. If it's going to help him or her. We're all for it. It's when we realize that it's us that we need to be dismantled. That's when we begin to have a real problem with this work. It is I myself that the work aims at dismantling. The most effective method is also the most painful, the destruction of internal considering. This is what the work aims at the destruction of internal considering, so that you can no longer internally consider, so that you can no longer make accounts, so that you can no longer think of yourself as all of these pictures, as this puffed up person who deserves this and deserves that and should have this and should have that. The work aims at taking all that away, at destroying that. Unless you begin to give this up, this internal considering, this spoiler, the second line of work can never begin for you. You remain stuck in the first line of work always learning, always gathering information, but never putting any of it into practice, never getting anything out of it. It's just becoming a bloated library on two legs. And it's great. Other people can come and get some information, but unless they do something with the information and begin to practice the second line of work, they become bloated libraries as well, duplicates. They become like a Xerox copy of the books in the library, a little less concise, a little less sharp, not quite as real. The second line of work is the destruction of the spoiler. That's what it means. When you start the second line of work, you begin to destroy the spoiler, internal considering. The spoiler makes us negative, always, about the way other people are treating us. But external considering, which is the second line of work, that is different. When we start to externally consider other people, when we start to actually do this second line of work, when we actually start to practice these principles that we're learning in the first line of work, that spoils the spoiler. So it's either the spoiler spoils our life or we spoil the spoiler with the second line of work. 
Your private grievances are not only the links in the chain around your neck that spoils your chance of development, they're also the quicksand that holds you fast while you're being strangled by that chain. And what are we doing the whole time we're being strangled? We're making more links because we think that they're strangling us. How many people in this work study this thing we call I from the perspective of the accounts that it makes against others for not having treated it properly? How often, when you're examining yourself, when you're looking at yourself, are you looking at yourself from the perspective of the accounts that you're making toward other people because they didn't treat you right? How could we when our feeling of I has entered completely into this thing? If you wish to develop, you've got to give this up. There's no other way. And so this is the sacrifice we're asked to make. And how are we asked to make this? We're asked to make this in faith, really. Do you know how it will turn out for you if you stop making accounts against other people? No, you don't know because you haven't stopped making accounts. All you have is the work's word for it, someone else's word for it. So you have to look at it and be faithful to it. Is this the something higher that I need to adhere to in order to reach a higher level in myself? The remedy for the spoiler is almost too simple. It's simple, but it's not easy, given our self-love. Morris Nichols said, Try to observe when you are making internal accounts through thinking someone else has not treated you rightly, and begin to think of the other person and his difficulties. So notice that this is really like nunchucks. It's like these two sticks, but they're chained together. And they're flexible. They're separate, but they're really together. And so, in a sense, you begin to observe when you're making internal accounts through thinking someone else hasn't treated you rightly. But then the other side of that, the other stick on the nunchuck, is begin to think of the other person and his difficulties. So you have these two things, and you have them in hand. So you see that, yes, I'm making these internal accounts, this chain, but I can turn this chain into something else. I can turn this into externally considering this other person and their difficulties. What must life be like for them to have to put up with someone like me? But, but wait a second. You can't put up with me. I'm wonderful. After a while of true, proper self-observation, you start to see just how wonderful you really are, and you begin to feel for other people. You begin to think, oh, man, you know, that's, that's hard. You know, I was thinking about Curtis the other day, actually today and the other day, and I was thinking how difficult it is to work with me. He took me to task yesterday. He had his little notebook out, and he wanted to try and keep me on track. Every time I'd get off track, he'd get back on track. He's a programmer. You know, he programs. So in order for him to program, he's got to go from point A to point B to point C to point D. I'm not a programmer. I am something else. And I kind of don't think linearly. I just kind of have this three-dimensional or fourth-dimensional thing where I go left, right, up, down, back and forth in this big space. And one idea leads to another idea, but it may not necessarily be in a direct line to that. It may not be from point A to point B to get to that idea. It may be from point A to point K to get to that idea, and then to point B and then to point Z. I don't know. And so I was looking at our different styles of thinking, and I thought how difficult it must be for him. You know, what a test it must be, how challenging it must be for him. And I realized that He's done so much to overcome the discrepancies and the differences. So I guess in a way you could call that external considering, couldn't you? Thinking about how difficult it is for someone else to have to deal with someone like me. This is what I'm talking about. That's what we need to be doing. The best way to stop making this endless chain of internal accounts is to reach a new level of thinking about other people and their difficulties. But in order to do that, we're going to have to stop thinking about ourselves so much. That's going to be very difficult. 
unless we observe ourselves more and start to see more what we actually have become, what we actually are, what this life has actually made us, then it won't be so difficult to stop thinking of yourself. Then you'll look forward to thinking about other people and their difficulties, just to get the spotlight off of your nasty self. How might you help others by giving up your internal considering, taking the chain from around their ankle? What could it do for them? This I can promise. You must understand that this work is a means. If your self-love can't take being hit by me, by the work or someone else, you're going to get negative and you'll never see what it's all about. When you're negative, you will never see what this work is about. You are going to have to free yourself from internal considering because there is no other way to free yourself from being negative because internal considering is the spoiler. It is the thing that makes us negative more than anything else. And until we free ourselves from this and begin to practice the second line of work, which is externally considering other people and their difficulties in life and in dealing with us particularly, this work is a means. It's not an end. It's a means. It's a means to get us to a higher level of ourselves. But we're not going to get to that higher level of ourselves. We'll just stay in this loop of always learning about the work but never applying it. And the application of this work starts first with yourself, finding out what you're really like by proper, consistent self-observation. Not willy-nilly the way you think it should be done, but as the work instructs you to do it, to obey the work and do what it says to do when it comes to self-development, when it comes to self-observation, when it comes to what to observe in yourself and how to observe it. Because you can't be trusted. If you walk by your own understanding, you will walk in circles for the rest of your life. You will repeat for the rest of your life. If you can listen to something higher, if you can get a different reference point from all your reference points, you could reach a higher level in yourself. Maybe not a lot higher, but from there you could go higher. And from there you can go higher. So this work, as I said, is a means, not an end. It's to get you to something higher in yourself. But you're not going to get there unless you apply these ideas, not just to yourself, but to other people. Give up internal considering. Give up the spoiler. Turn that whole opportunity, because it's an opportunity. Internal considering can be an opportunity. Turn it into external considering. What must it be like for this person to deal with me? What kind of difficulties does this person have in their life, in their job? What is it like for them to wake up in the morning? It was like, Curtis didn't show up for meditation yesterday or this morning. What is it like for Curtis to wake up in the morning? You assume it's just like it is for you to wake up in the morning. Maybe you're a morning person, an early riser, or maybe you're not. But whatever your assumption is, you don't know. You don't know what it's like for him until you externally consider him. You don't know what it's like for anyone else until you externally consider them. And part of that external consideration is, I don't know what it's like to be you. But I know that on this planet, it's not easy to be anybody. We just think it's easier to be the other person than to be us. We look at someone else and say, well, they're more perfect than I am. Or they have a better chance. Or they have this or they have that. And if I had that, I'd do so much more with it. Lies. All lies based in illusion, based in this whole internal considering thing, this whole account keeping thing. Because that's all that is. If I had that, I'd do better. Internal considering. Accounts. Life didn't treat me right. I didn't get what I needed. I am me mine. All about me. Give it up and start externally considering other people. You light up and